Woo, woo, woo. I'm like, what a marvel okay. life. You know, we are, we're just you know, Come on, if you don't have a job, you're more than Verse one. nine. Yes. Family, house, in tent floor. Tent floor. In short for Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Beit house of bread. Go ahead. There we go. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. My lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Mm, nice, nice, nice. Yes, that's right. The, the letter bait is also the word bait. In other words, it means house. So house of bread, bait lechem. But yeah, and then if you look at the, the Paleo-Hebrew, not the Aramaic, but the Paleo-Hebrew, the letters will form little pictures. So it's a pictorial alphabet. And that's why when we say it means house, it's because it looks like a house, right? Anyway, um, uh, a big class today again. We've just got a lot of folks here. If anybody wants to invite people to come to the class, just in case two of you are gone, we'd be down to three, and then one of you would have a sniffle, and we'd be down to two. And then Tom's going to get angry at me someday, and he's not going to come, and we'll be down to just me sitting here. So anyway, yeah, anyway, um, Paul was in the hospital. I don't know if he's out. I didn't find out. I didn't get a call, so I'm assuming he was. But Paul was back in the hospital yesterday. But he looked cheerful. He looked okay. And um, it, it was to have a stint put in after he had one taken out. So, you know, the last thing he wants is to be in the hospital. No, just, I'm telling you, he, after a month in there before, but at least he looked good. And he was on a wing. He was in the uh, C elevators, which oh, really? is rare. Huh. And he was on a wing. I, there were like two, two rooms in the entire wing that had people in it. It was as empty and quiet oh. as it could be. So he got some rest last night, I guarantee it. Wow. Oh, yeah. With well, with the nurses bothering him, yeah. But I'm telling you, it was, it was. I don't want to say what it was like. Anyway, it was very quiet. Have you heard anything from the bridges? Like, you forget. No, no. They should be back soon, though. Last year, they just came. So I'm assuming they're just going to show up one of these okay. days. Okay. But, um, yeah. I and um, I also, uh, I got to go out to breakfast with the folks that were here on Sunday, oh, okay. the ones that were from oh, Washington. The other yeah. ones were up in Tampa, and they couldn't get together. Okay. But, oh, what a nice group of people they were. Wow, really nice folks from Washington. And, uh, Washington had, State. Yeah, they we had a, had a good time with them. And, uh, they, they, was it? They, they came a few months ago. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. They I were here in May, and they didn't meet Paul because Paul was already not coming. Oh, but, really? Yeah. Oh. But you know what? They came over to the house after we had breakfast. Oh, okay. Right? And I, he said, we were talking, and I said, well, that's where I fell from. And he... He couldn't believe it. He was like, I had this thing in my mind. You felt like off of a, you know, maybe a chair or something. He was like, I'm surprised you're alive. <laughs> wow. Uh-huh, anyway, yeah, Charlie, he, no, you're it was, a pastor. You're not supposed to be doing Yes, stuff. I am. Yeah. I'm supposed to be doing the job that the Lord has called me to do. Let me take you to the book of Ecclesiastes. Where can I find this? Um, uh, anyway, um, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says that put your hand to one thing in the morning and another thing in the evening. You don't know which one will prosper. Right. Uh-huh. And so uh, the, Solomon is saying to be wise and do different things because one thing may prosper or one thing may not prosper. And so uh, the church has prospered. But, you know, I still keep my other jobs, you know, because that's what the Bible says is to do one thing in the morning and another thing at night. And I, in the I, way the Lord I, led me. I, I fall <laughs> off of roofs in the morning and I teach Bible at night. So that's just when what it is. When you fall off a roof and teach Bible at night, you're kind of. 
Oh, oh, not goodness. looking so good. Yeah, not so good. But I will say that I had to go back up on the roof this week. I had to mortar the uh, the chimney because it, it, the tree fell on it. And so I did that. And that is the very first time I've ever been on that roof. And I thought, I could fall. I, I literally was careful for the first time in my life. I'm like, I walked down this, the ladder very carefully. And I got to go back up one more time uh, tomorrow to put the... Uh, I got a new, it cupola. crushed that metal thing on top. The what? Cupola. Cupola, yeah, I got to go put a new cupola, which Lowe's sent to me in the mail yesterday, so that'll go up and... So, then, if I were to put pictures to your day that you just described, yeah. in the morning you were the fallen, Yes. and in the evening... Yes, exactly, there you go, from fallen until... Yeah, okay, Okay. we got to get into the Bible, but first, let's, let's say a prayer. Heavenly Father, it sure is good to be in your presence, and uh, it's good to fellowship with these wonderful people here. And we pray that anybody that's out there online or maybe watching later, that they would be happy and content and uh, that their hearts would be blessed in great ways. And uh, we certainly thank you for the cooler weather, which is starting to come in. It's pretty wonderful, Lord, and uh, it'll be good uh, for the next week. And uh, maybe after that, it'll just continue on. And we're grateful for that. And we just thank you for every good blessing that you bless us with. We do pray for Paul and we pray for all the others that uh, I have not heard from this week, but we know that are having their own trials and troubles. And Pray that you'll be with them and help them. And uh, we just thank you for your kind hand of grace upon us. And we commit this uh, this um, study to you. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yay, yay, yay. Um, okay. Hey, Carol, how are you? So, hello, Carol. How are you? Oh, just ducky. Just ducky. I like that. I like that. Hi, ladies. How are you? Okay, we have um, 820 is where we're at. 8 verse 20. Four, the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope. In hope. Okay, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, very close, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So very, very similar. Okay. So verse 820, we'll see where we can go with this. Um, for, remember I went through all the, the prepositions last week? Well, we got another one right here. For, again, is used to continue to explain the train of thought, which proceeds from Paul's instruction on glorification. He's now building on what he said in 819. He said, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the Son of God. Using personification of the creation, he says that it, eagerly awaits. This ties back to verse 14. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Okay. Is son or sons in the 19? Uh, 19. Uh, what, uh, Revealing of the sons? Sons. The sons. What are you asking me? I'm asking, is it sons or son? In 19. In, in 19. It says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Sons. Yes. Well, I, I understood you to say son when you... Oh, 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 I see. I, I, if I said son, it's because I wasn't reading it properly. It says sons of God. Anyway, I yeah, I didn't know what you were talking about, and so... Uh, uh, but no, it's definitely sons of God in that one. The creation that eagerly waits, okay? Um, are, oh, I see what you were saying. Are led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. Anyway, that, that's that's what I read here. So I don't know if I didn't put the end on it. I apologize. Okay. Anyway, um, someday those who have come to Christ will be revealed in glory, okay? Until that time, creation waits in a frustrated state. Does anybody disagree with that? We are in a frustrated state. The creation has fallen. 
little puppies die. Oh. I mean, you know, everything that we could think of bad, it happens, right? And this is not the way that it was intended to be. We are in a frustrated state of creation. Why? Well, Paul explains it, because the creation was subjected to futility. This was seen in several examples from the Genesis account. The curse of the earth, which now brings forth thorns and thistles. The enmity between men and animals, and so on. This was not done willingly, according to Paul, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Okay? The creation, the him is capital there. If your Bible doesn't have a capital, it's speaking of the Lord. Of him who subjected it in hope. The creation didn't fall because it wanted to or because there was some type of fault in it originally. Creation didn't say, well, I'm going to fall, right? And it wasn't that way originally. Everything was perfect, and it was fallen because of our sin. When sin entered the world, the entire creation went out of whack. Everything is in obedience to the Lord except man. The, that that is correct. That that is correct. It, well, we can't say that because the devil is also not in obedience to the well, Lord. I, but that 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 goes back to um, uh, the nature of things. They are. I've explained this before, but man is progressively actuating potential. We always have potential. We always will have potential. My beard has the potential to change color. Right. Most of the guys here will agree with that. And my beard has the potential to grow. I have the potential to cut it. All of these things are potential. I may or may not do it. It may or may not do it. But it is progressive, okay? Progressive, it is actuating. In other words, if I want to grow a beard, then I grow a beard. Progressively actuating potential. Actuating means something has occurred, okay? Potential means it can occur. So it's progressively actuating potential. That chair has the potential to rust because it has a metal frame it has the potential to tear all right it has the potential to get stains on it if somebody drinks a cup of coffee thank goodness that one is black you won't see the stain but the green one you will right but that is progressively actuating potential material things have that angels do not angels are what are known as fully actuated potential okay an angel has potential the moment it's created by god that is fully actuated the moment it's created, and it will be nothing else ever again, because angels are spirit. They don't progress in, they don't go from a state of one thing to another. Their, their actuality is fully realized when they are created, fully actuated potential. God, on the other hand, has no potential, and he never did. God is pure act, or we would say pure actuality. He's pure act. There is no change in him. There never was change in him. He has no potential to change. That is God. So when people say, well, yeah, God began loving me, that's a category mistake. God is love. God always loved you. You were on the negative side of God. You are now on God's good side. He didn't change. You did. Okay. People say that uh, um, God is passionate. He, you know, God is impassionate. There is no passion. There is no emotion in God. People don't want to think that because we have this, this thought about God that God is like our father and he's going to come and cuddle with us. That's not how it works. God is loving towards us when we are in the right relationship with him. There's no potential in God at all. If there is potential in God, it's not the God of the Bible. It is not the God of creation. Okay. When God entered the stream of humanity in the person of Jesus, potential became possible. He now has, what does it say about Jesus? It says that he um, 
uh, grew and in stature and favor with God and man. Jesus did what at the tomb of Lazarus? He wept. God does not weep. Jesus can weep, okay? God does not get happy. Jesus got happy. Jesus got mad, right? These things are things that Jesus does. So you have to take the dual nature of Christ and you have to say, in his Godness, there is no change. He is always God. He will never change in any way, shape, or form. In his humanity, he is united perfectly with his deity, but they do not overlap in any way, shape, or form. Okay? If I, I showed this before. I'll show you really quickly, and then we'll get back to this. Just so you, you want to keep in mind the nature of God when we're talking about the things, because creation falls into the same thing. I showed you this. If you have... This is just a picture of the Godhead. It's not the Godhead, but we've got the G in the middle. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But he is not him. He is not him. And he is not him. They are individual persons, just like time is one thing. The, the uh, present is not the future. The future is not the past. And the past is not the present. Okay? So we put an X there. But all of them are God. Okay? And then when you add in Jesus, you have to say, we'll put a round thing here. Christ is. There is no overlapping. If it overlaps, then you have a problem. Because if there's an overlap, that means that God is either changing or Christ is unchanging. And we know that both are wrong. That's called monophysitism, which means um, mono means one. Right. What's the word? Um, uh, help me out. Physitism. Uh, uh, physicality? Yeah. Uh, yes, physicality, we'll say. Monophysitism. The ism is just simply the doctrine of. Okay? If you have one, then you have mono, one, physic. I'm thinking of the uh, physique is the word. Oh, ah. physique. Okay, so you have a physique. One physique. Well, that's not possible. Okay? You have the human nature of Christ, in, and if you separate it, then you've got another problem because now there's no harmony between the the human nature of Christ and the the uh, divine nature of Christ. There's no harmony. So you have to remember they touch; they will always touch, but they never overlap and they never separate. He is the God Man. Okay, so God is here. The humanity of uh, Jesus is linked to it, but it doesn't overlap. It doesn't separate in any way, shape, or form. Um, uh, physique, monophysitism. Why can't I say the word physique? Anyway, um, so um, uh, what was I saying? Angels are fully actuated potential. God is pure act. Man is progressively actuating potential. So what he said is correct in one sense. He said that um, everything is subject to God. Say it again. Yes, everything's obedient to God. Obedient to God, except man. And that is true. But in the sense of the fallen angels, they are not obedient to God, but that is their permanent state. Man can become obedient to God again, right? So there's a little bit involved in the angels, but when you think of everything, we'll think of the created order. We'll leave angels out of it, okay? And so that statement would be true, with the exception of angels and in the fact that they never change. Once they are what they are, they will always be what they are. So we could even say that they are obedient to God in the sense that that is how they are constructed or, or you know. Created? Yeah, well, they're created. They're created beings, but once again, they're fully actuated potential. You just remember that. There is no change in an angel from the moment that he is created. But wouldn't okay. falling be uh, 
Right, and that's what happens the moment they're created. Okay, oh, they're so the devil never was good. Well, you have to think about this from the perspective of uh, God is outside of time. No change in it. Okay, right. Angels are spirit beings, so they're not limited to time. Mm-hmm. So what they are is something that we can't quite comprehend. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. They are not in time, and therefore there is no potential in them. But they were created, and so they had potential at the moment of being created. Do you see what I'm saying? So uh, how that works exactly, we'd have to go and I'd get out the, uh, the Summa Theologica of uh, Thomas Aquinas, and we could go through the nature of angels, and it would take years. Okay. I mean, it is very complicated. And what he said, but if you want to read it, go no, look up the Summa online. It's all online, and, and you just, can read all about the nature of man, the nature of angels. I'm just curious how he figured it out. Who? Thomas Aquinas. Oh. Hey, let me tell you what, that guy was a very smart guy. He was a thinker, but you know, he got things wrong too. He, 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 he you want to remember the only thing that is infallible on this planet is um, the Bible, okay, as far as our doctrine and instruction. When you read the Summa, you want to not make the, the category mistake that because he has deduced certain things that are very, very, very intelligent, that everything he knows is very, very intelligent. A doctor will be a specialist in doctoring, but you ask him to fix your plumbing and you've got a problem, right? Well, there are a million disciplines within the Bible and within theology, and he got some of them right and he got some of them wrong, but the nature of man and the nature of angels, he got it right. So anyway, go ahead. Lord and the two angels who came to Abraham. Right. They came as men. That's right. Okay. But, you know, the angels are ministering spirits. I get that, but they... They changed their appearance. Absolutely. To, to be recognized. And so did uh, Gabriel when he stood in the temple. That is all a part of what was actuated in them when they were created. They have no potential. Just remember that. So however it is worked out by God, and like I said, we can go read about it if you want. We can spend months on that, and you're not going to be any smarter in theology, in my opinion. But everything about them is done. There will be no change in them ever. So... He will explain that to you. I'm not going to because I don't have it all figured out. But he will explain it to you how those uh, appearances of angels fits into being fully actuated potential. Okay. I'm just going with the very basic of it. The basic is that angels have no potential. They are spirit beings. Okay. We have potential. Well, something clicked with Mary when uh, Gabriel appeared to her. Absolutely. At first she was afraid. Absolutely. But so, then, then she listened. And then she listened. So and, there you go. She said, the, I'm the servant. The servant Lord. of the Lord. But that is her potential. She is a human being that has potential to change her mind. She can, you know, whatever. We will always be that way. We will always be tied to physical bodies. We are not going to be spirit beings. We will be spiritual beings. Okay. Spirit, what was that? Spiritual. Oh. Okay, we will not be spirit beings. That's the Jehovah's Witnesses. Jesus was raised a mighty spirit being. That's not true. He was raised a physical right. being. Come here and feel my hands, okay? That becomes a heresy because they say he has no real body. That's not true. He made a point of showing them that, and he will always be tied to his body. It's a glorified body, but he will always be tied to it. He's the God-man, and it will go on forever and forever and forever, just like we will. We will be spiritual, but not spirit beings. Did you have a question? Yes. Curious. Yes. Um, Bad angels. Okay. Are what do you think? Do you think they are also 
No, I don't believe in aliens okay. at all. I do not believe in aliens. I'm not an alien conspiracist. As a matter of fact, now, they could be, it could be that somebody says, well, you know, I saw a, an alien and it could be a fallen angel. But there is no such thing as a real alien. There are not people on other planets, okay? And we can think that one through very, very quickly, okay? Is that Christ died how many times? Once. Once. If there are fallen beings on other planets, then he's going to have to go die for them too, right? That's not going to happen. This is the center of God's redemptive plans in this universe, is man. What's going to happen with the universe after that, I don't know. But there are not sentient beings on other planets. I do not believe that, okay? If there are, then that becomes a real theological problem. There can be all kinds of beings on other planets. There can be dinosaurs on this one, and there can be ants on that one, okay? They are not sentient beings. They do not need to be redeemed. Because if there are, then like I said, does his atonement cover all of them on another planet? No, right? It covers the people on this planet. It doesn't cover sentient beings on another planet. So he's going to have to go and die for them too. That will not happen, okay? He created this universe, and then he put the special thing in this universe in a certain part of a, a strand of the galaxy called the Milky Way, and there he put that solar system, and there he put the Earth, and that is where his focus is, and everything else is constructed for that purpose. I am absolutely certain of that, okay? What he has going on on other planets is fine. He can do whatever he wants with them. He can have anything he wants on them, but he will not have sentient beings. That's Charlie. That's my opinion. I think that the Bible bears it out, and I'm not here to argue with people that disagree with that. I'm not going to because we can't go and prove it, okay? But logically... We are here on this planet, and we are unique in this universe, and Christ loved us enough to come and redeem us, okay? So logically, I don't need to go further than that, and all of the arguments in the world that somebody emails me are wasted time. I'm glad you said that at the end because you're probably yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. People, people want to believe what they want to believe, and that's fine, but I'm not going to argue with them because we're not going to go to those planets anyway. We're waiting for Christ to return to this planet. So anyway, let's go on. Um, but now you understand yeah. the creation has fallen and the nature of angels. And the only reason why I got into that long discourse is because I didn't want to let something stand that wasn't technically correct. That angels, <laughs> when they were created, were not um, uh, obedient to God. And we know that. The Bible bears that out. Okay. But how it's working with them now, he's in complete control of all things. But man is something that the Lord has given us the freedom to choose and to not choose. We are not in accord with his will necessarily. Anyway, okay, so sorry about that long diversion on that, but um, uh, okay, uh, the creation didn't fall because it wanted to, I said that, or because there was some type of fault in it, meaning the creation. Instead, it fell because of man's sin. All creation came under the curse that was executed upon man. Like I said, that's why animals die. That's why, you know, stars explode out in the middle of the uh, cosmos. And all of that, I am absolutely certain that everything that happens out there, everything that happens is designed to affect this planet in one way or another. When this uh, sun gets a, a, what do you call it, a solar flare and it, it does something to us, that is part of God's plan. It's part of the fallen world, but he is working with the fallen world at this time in order to affect his plans. And so we might have the solar, um, uh, what do you call it, solar flare come down here, and then you get the aurora borealis, you know? Somebody's out on a boat, and they're lost at sea, and they see the northern lights, and it, it illuminates something, and they say, oh, there's land over there. Everything happens for a reason. If he wants somebody off of the ocean and back on the land, he'll get them there. And nothing is going to thwart his purposes, and so everything happens according to his will, including 
making a giant fish that can come and swallow up a person and bring them up to the shore in Israel. Okay? Whatever he wants to do, he can do. Everything that happens in this universe happens according to his will. And like I said, so when we see a star out there blow up, there's a reason why that happened. It probably was not intended to if man didn't fall. Everything would be in a perfect state. But it's a part of the fallen state that he is using. Okay? I don't understand it. I don't, you know, claim to understand it all. I just believe that that is the case. Everything happens because of his divine will. Uh, as he said, all of creation is under the authority of God. All of it. Okay? Um, so, uh, all creation came under this curse. It was executed upon man. It was done to show humanity that sin exacts an immensely great price. One sin, and every bad thing that's happened in this universe has happened because of that one sin. Everything, okay? God himself subjected the creation to futility in hope, it says. That's what Paul wrote. The hope isn't God's hope, but creation's hope. Just as the creation was said to eagerly wait, it is said to hope, okay? Creation doesn't actually wait for anything. It's not a, a thinking entity, right? It doesn't really hope, but he is using this metaphorical sense so that we understand that things are not right and it is waiting to be right, okay? Once again, just like everything else in the Bible, it is written from what perspective? Our perspective. Man's perspective, that's right. Everything. The sun also rises when the sun doesn't rise. The earth spins, right? But from our perspective as human beings, the sun rises. All right, we get the verse that says that the earth shall not be moved, right? And flat earth people use that to justify flat earth. They say, see, the earth doesn't move. Well, I got to tell you what, if the earth is a ball or if the earth is a flat disk in the middle of space, it's the same thing, right? It doesn't make any difference what the shape of it is, but they use that verse. That is from our perspective that the earth doesn't move. It doesn't mean that the earth isn't round. It doesn't mean that the earth is flat. It just simply means that the earth doesn't move. And it's also, once again, metaphorical in sense. Why? Because if you ever go out to San Francisco or to Tokyo, you're going to feel the earth do what? Move. That's right. I was in Tokyo, and one night I was lying in bed, and then I was doing this because the bed went down under me. It was. You get three types of earthquakes. You get the type that rumbles, which means yeah. that it's way over there and you're getting the side effects of it. And then you get the ones that are very close to the center and they do this, right? And the, that's the, the, it'll cause buildings to shift and fall over, right? And then you get the really dangerous ones where the earth goes boom, because everything falls and that's the worst because then the buildings just collapse on themselves, right? Well, this was a strong one. It was right under our house, I think, because I, I literally woke up hitting the bed. I'm like, oh my goodness, yeah. Wow. So uh, the earth does move, but we are using that in the sense that the earth doesn't move. It is fixed and it is firm. So we want to, when we read the Bible, make sure that we don't take, take things to unintended extremes. The earth does move. Okay. It is the psalmist saying that the earth is founded. God has done it and it is set. Okay. Yeah. So the flatters. The what? <laughs> flatters, folks. They, they um, how do they explain that, that our sin, our uh, transgressions will be cast far as far away as the east is from the, the, the west? Well, yeah. yeah, that's true because it, it, we know that the north has a pole. We know it because we get out of compass. We know that the south has a pole, and the east and the west. If it's flat, then there wouldn't be a pole in any direction. Mm -hmm. So that's a good point so, too. So when astronauts go up and we see the pictures from space, oh no, that's all that's all Hollywood. That's all Hollywood, absolutely. <laughs> and you know the funny thing is, if you watch Star Trek or if you watch yeah. um. Well, 
what was Apollo 13 with yeah. them? When they made the movie Apollo 13, yeah. it's very interesting, is that Buzz Aldrin, I think uh -huh. it was, he was watching that. I think it was Buzz Aldrin, and he called Ron Howard, and he said, where did you get the film for this? He says, I've never seen these footage, this footage before. He thought that it was real. He actually thought that it was real. And so people can use that as an excuse and say, oh, wow. see, well, yeah. Wow. But he actually called him, and he said, I want to know where you got that, because I've never seen these, these pictures of that before. And it was all done in Hollywood. So... You know, if you want to believe something, you're going to believe it. Right. So there's no point in arguing with them. I don't hate people that believe in a flat earth. I just disagree, right? You go up in an airplane, Charlie. I know, and I've been way up in airplanes in the military, and I can tell you the earth is curved. I know all these things. Sorry. I know that, but it, you're not going to convince people that do not want to be convinced. You're not going to do it. You know, it's like saying something from the Bible. Are we regenerated in order to believe, or do we receive Christ voluntarily? And if you believe one or the other, it doesn't matter what they show you. I've got it in my head, and I'm going to use this verse. To, we were talking about a verse before class today, weren't we? Is Revelation 3, 19 and 20. Because one person sent me some literature, and it said that uh, um, it's the one about knocking on the door. Behold, I oh, knock right. on the door, and if uh, you open the door, I'll come in and sup with you. Right. And if you believe that that is speaking of saved believers, you will always believe that. And if you believe that it's speaking of unsaved believers that need to receive Christ, then that's what you're going to believe. Okay? And so we talked about it because he had one impression. And do you still have that or do you? I still hold it. He still holds it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm saying that we, well, let me tell you. What does it say in Romans 10, 9, and 10? If you believe with the heart, okay? In Ephesians three seventeen, it says that Christ will dwell in your heart, right? Okay, and it says elsewhere that you must receive Jesus, right? Okay, then I went logically through in um, uh, Revelation 3, he's speaking to the church. It's right there, to the church of Laodicea, and he speaks in the plural, and then he gets down to this verse, and he speaks in the singular, if anyone will open the door. And the next verse is in the singular again, to him who overcomes, I will give blah, blah, blah. Speaking of a person that receives Christ, you become an overcomer. So I believe that Verse 20 is tied in with verse 21. Somebody else will say that verse 20 is tied in with verse 19. And they start parsing verbs to say that, well, this is, and they will use their arguments for or against a certain thing. You know, one way or another. Is it worth dividing the fellowship over that? No. No. I can tell you that almost all great scholars of the past have said that that is speaking of receiving Jesus Christ. Right? Almost all of them. It's become a modern thing when people say, well, you have to say a sinner's prayer or something. All of a sudden people say, well, that's not in the Bible, right? There's a million things that are not in the Bible that the Bible implies, yes. right? One of them is the doctrine of original sin. Never says original sin in the Bible, right? right? right. But the doctrine is there, okay? It, there's another one. It's called the rapture. There's not the word rapture in the Bible. There's the word harpazo, which means it, but it's, people say, well, the word rapture isn't in the Bible. Guess what? There is an entire doctrine in the Bible, which has got to be explained somehow. Either those verses mean a rapture or they have to be taken metaphorically, right? So it, it, some things are worth arguing and some things are not worth arguing. And what Revelation 3.20 is speaking about, to me, is not worth arguing. If I get to that verse in the next 10 years when we're doing these daily devotionals, I will give both opinions and I'll say there are two opinions. I do it every Sunday. I say, last week I said there are three, and this week I'll define it more. I'll say there are four prevalent views on this. 
here is what I believe and here is why, right? All of those other people that believe differently, I respect their commentaries. I've read them and I think enough of them to include them as an option, okay? That's, that's what you do. If you're not sure about something, you give all of the options and you give the one that you think is best. To just say this is what this says is dishonest because there are varying opinions on this particular matter. There are these views, and we have to give a full explanation of it. That's what we're doing at the Bible study. We're giving an explanation. Let me go on with this so we can get done with it. Um, Okay, Uh, let's see here. We are being shown. I'm going to go back and read the last verse so you know where we were or the last sentence. The hope isn't God's hope but creation's hope. Just as the creation was said to eagerly wait, it is said there to hope. We are being shown from the tip of Paul's pen that creation is submitted to the futility wrought upon it on the account of man's misdeeds. Creation has fallen because of man's misdeeds. It has fallen in, as Paul says, obedience to that, or no, this isn't my, what Paul says, this is what a commentator says, in obedience to that superior power which had mysteriously linked its destinies, meaning creation's destinies, with man's. Jameson Fawcett Brown said that. God tied all of creation in with the destiny of man. When man fell, all of creation fell as well. He calls it a mysterious link, or actually they do, Jameson Fawcett Brown. They say it's a mysterious link, but that's what the Bible... Once again, is that in the Bible? No. No. But it's something that's implied from the Bible. There's a mysterious link between man and between creation. That's not explicitly stated anywhere in the Bible, but that is sure what's being taught right here. Once again, we have a doctrine which is implied in the Bible regardless of whether it explicitly says it. So when somebody says that it never says that you need to say a sinner's prayer to receive Jesus, it doesn't mean that you don't need to say a sinner's prayer in order to receive Jesus. You believe with your heart, you confess with your mouth, and you will be saved. Well, what is that confession? Your confession is going to be different from your confession is going to be different from your confession. Because some people have hearts that are so broken that they need to just pour out everything they have in their heart to them. And then some people have no idea what to say. We see this in the projects from time to time. They don't even know what to say. So we say, can I pray with you? Would you like to receive Jesus? Do you believe that God raised him from the dead? Yes. Would you like to confess with your mouth? Yes. Then let's do it. It doesn't happen very often, but it does happen from time to time. Every single person's salvation is an individual experience, just like every person's death is an individual experience. No two people ever in the history of this universe have ever died the same, ever. They all die individually, okay? It may be the same cause, a car accident, but it's always going to be a different one. It is a unique experience for each person, okay? That's the way it is. Salvation, being born and being born again are unique occurrences that happen one time in human history. How it happens, I don't care. As long as they receive Jesus, hey, I'm not here to to niggle over things like that. I'm here to tell people that they need Jesus, and here's what the Bible says. This, and if you want to know what the gospel is, as I said last, um, uh, during the Prophecy Update, you have the gospel, which is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3, and if you want to know how to exercise that in your life, go back to Romans 10, 9 and 10, and that'll do it, okay? Because even in 1 Corinthians 15, it says the word believe, that has to come into the equation somewhere because if you simply know the gospel, it doesn't mean you're saved. You have to take that knowledge and you have to put it here where the, the Bible, in the Bible, the heart is the seat of understanding. Always. 
in the Bible, the heart is the seat of understanding. Okay. four into the one, two, three. Yeah, four, whatever. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, it's, it, go read that, and when you get there, it's fine. It's, read that, and you'll know exactly yeah. what the gospel is. How do you get that into your life now? That's the thing. You get it through sermons. You get it through people evangelizing. You get it through reading a track, you know, while you're uh, on a train. All of those are different ways, but it has to be received somehow. The message has to be presented. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now I need to act on that. Individual. Okay, so um, I, the, yeah, you have this mysterious link. Okay, the perfection of man coincided with the perfection of Eden. Man was perfect. Eden was perfect. They were both created perfectly. Okay, the fall in creation coincided with the fall of man. Perfect creation, perfect fall. I mean, it, it, everything fell perfectly, all right? And the glorification of man will coincide with the restoration of the creation, which had w once been so gloriously perfect and which will again be in that wondrous state. It will be that way someday. We are promised it, and I'm telling you, that is great stuff. It is coming soon to a regeneration of all things near you. When that happens, how it happens, Okay, life application. The whole creation fell through one man's sin, which was done in Romans 5 8. Innocence. Yes. Okay, it was done in innocence. Imagine the weight of our sin, which is done with knowledge. Mm -hmm. Don't sin. Okay? Everybody got that? One sin caused all of that heartache and all of that woe for all of people. Imagine when we willfully sin against God how much it must pressure this creation. It does say in the Bible explicitly that the with um, uh, the shedding of blood, there is no atonement for the land. You have to shed the blood of the one that sheds it or there is no atonement, right? It says no. that two or three times in there. We're in trouble. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Think of abortion in the land. Mm -hmm. Think of abortion and that unless you are to execute people that commit murders like that, which the law says we can't, so we can't go shooting abortion doctors. The law is established by our government, but our government should say that abortion is illegal. If you're caught doing an abortion, you will be arrested, you will be tried, and you will be executed. That's what should happen, but that's not what happens when a person kills another person. There is no such thing as extenuating circumstances, right? If you willingly kill somebody, the Bible says, nix them. Okay, that doesn't change anywhere in the Bible. With the shedding of blood, man's blood must be shed, okay? It's in the book of Joshua explicitly where it says, I, I don't remember the exact verse, but you know, the land is corrupted because of the shed of blood, all right? And eventually what happens is the people will be vomited out of the land. Well, the whole world is gonna be vomited out of the land because China aborts millions and millions of babies every year. We do it all over the world. People are aborting babies. They think it's fun to do it more and more, and the whole world is going to come under this curse, and all of the people are going to be vomited out because of it. This is just, this is what Paul is telling us. Creation cannot handle these type of things. Anyway, um, I'm going to read you something. Charlie. Yes. The other night, there's a show on called The Good Doctor, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Never, never heard of it. Yeah. This woman had a tumor that they couldn't get unless they took the baby out oh boy. of the placenta yeah. and laid it on her stomach. and they could Oh, so this is a real show. Oh, this oh, is, oh, oh okay. This is, okay. Well, the doctor called it a fetus. Huh. And the other doctor says, what did you just do? 
Well, it is a child, you know. Yeah, it's but, out of the womb. But he put it back in. Yeah. So it up. So I thought that was pretty good that they would admit. That I'm glad. This was I'm a child. I'm glad that they did that. And is that a show or what is? Show. It's a show. It's a new show. Okay. What channel is it on? Oh, it doesn't it matter because I don't have TV anymore. Okay. The, the the good doctor is what's the name of the affliction he had? Oh, he's autistic. Autistic. Okay. Well, I, I don't have TV, so it doesn't, but maybe somebody online will want to see it. So it's called The Good. The Good Doctor. The Good Doctor. Okay. 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. That's way too late. Yes. Okay, just a quick yeah. comment. Someone had said to me, and you said, wow, I didn't think of it that way. Uh, now, 90 million babies. Yeah. That is one third of the population. Of and the that's United just this country. States. Yep. That's yeah. just this country. China's about, up in like 300 million. Yeah, I yeah. read it in an update no, not too long ago. About, oh, yeah. It's insane. When you think about one third of the population. Of the entire country. Absolutely. And people think that God isn't going to care about that. Oh, crazy. Absolutely insane. All right, I'm going to read you something that I typed up for one of my earlier sermons based on this thought of the fall of creation. This is Tragedy in the Garden. The woman was enticed and she ate of the fruit. She passed it on to Adam and he ate as well. He became the second willing recruit, and together they left a sad story to tell. Their eyes were open to their exposed state. They realized that life and sin just ain't so great. They sewed together figs to hide their shame and made coverings that just wouldn't suffice. The Lord questioned them about their hiding game, and they realized that sin just ain't so nice. Where are you, called the Lord, though he already knew. I was hiding because I realized something wasn't right. I was afraid to answer. I'm naked. Yes, it's true. And so I hid myself like a shadow in the night. Who told you that you were naked? What is this you did do? Have you taken of the fruit which I told you not to eat? It was the woman who did it, the one made by you. She told me of its yumminess and how it was so sweet. I thought it would be so good, but I guess I paid the price. I'm beginning to see that sin really ain't so nice. Woman, what is this thing that you have done? traded life under the heavens for life under the sun. Oh, my Lord, it was the serpent. He deceived me and I ate. And now I'm seeing that sin just ain't so great. Oh, God, that we could take it back and undo what we have done. Life was wonderful under the heavens, but it's terrible under the sun. What can we do to make things right? Where can we turn to be healed? How long will we be cast from your sight? How long until the grave is unsealed? I have a plan, children, but you'll have to wait many years under the sun toiling in the heat. But I will someday open wide heaven's gate when my own son, the devil, will defeat. I will send my own son, the devil, to defeat. Verse 21. But the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Okay, other than freedom, this says liberty, very close. Freedom, liberty. All right, 821. As noted in the preceding verse, not just man, but all of creation came under the curse that was executed upon man. The price and weight of sin is such that it affects not just the sinner, but it corrupts everything. The trials, troubles, and distresses of nature are a result of our disobedience. Now, as I said, that's because of Adam's fall. We have repercussions because of our own sins, such as the shedding of blood and the land vomiting people out. But there are also repercussions immediately in life. If a person is sleeping with another person's wife and the husband comes home, there's going to be death in the house most likely. 
that is a result of sin. There are always, always going to be consequences for sin. You may say the Lord doesn't see, he sees. You may say nobody else knows, it doesn't matter. There are always going to be consequences for sin. That is the natural state of things. It doesn't matter whether you believe that or not. Sin will always bring about consequences, okay? The trials, troubles, distresses of nature are a result of our disobedience. This is the great lesson for man since the fall. But what has fallen will be restored. There's coming a time of worldly renewal, which will, was seen by the ancient prophets. This is known as the kingdom age. Now, it's not going to be totally perfect. It is going to be in anticipation of the complete perfection, okay? But it will be a time where the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It will be a time of great, great blessing on this earth. It will not be the completely perfect state until after this is over. How do we know? Because at the end of the millennium is revolt. revolt. God made God coming again against God's camp, the city that he loves, right? So we know that it's not a completely perfect world, but it is under perfect conditions if people are willing to accept it, okay? It's the kingdom age. It's where Christ will reign from Jerusalem for 1,000 years. Let me read you something because people say, oh, there is no such thing as the millennial reign of Christ. This is, you know, praetorists and these people that don't believe in dispensationalism. And if they, you're always going to meet people like this. They're going to argue their point. They're going to say, you're going to the wrong church. There's no such thing as the rapture. That's incorrectly. That doesn't mean what you think it means. They're going to say there is no such thing as um, uh, you know, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Okay, so I want to read you something, and it says here in um, Revelation 20, verse 2. Well, I'll start with 21, and we'll just go for a little while. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand, a thousand years. years. Thank you. Okay. And he put him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should not deceive the nation. He should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years. thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Okay, that's God may God. So we know that it was perfect. They had ideal conditions and then Satan is released to tempt the people and they fall again. Okay, then it goes on and it says, Verse 4, and I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus, and for the worship of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Verse 5, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Verse 6, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Verse 7, now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and blah, 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 blah. Okay? How many times did it just say that? How many times does somebody have to be told something to say, I accept that this is literal? Six times. That's, well, yes, I was going to say that. It is six times. But anyway, um, uh, six times in just three paragraphs. Well, I, don't, I don't understand how somebody can't. Well, you can take something and say this is metaphor one time or two times. But right. when the Lord repeats something six times in just a couple of paragraphs, that's Revelation chapter 20, and it just starts in verse 1. It goes down to verse 7, the sixth time it says, um, and, and the fourth verse talks about 
beheading and who does sure. beheading. Sure. It, it tells who does it. It gives the, the outline of it. It cannot be metaphorical. So if somebody comes to you and wants to confuse you with their doctrine, say, listen, it says it six times. When the Lord says something once, he wants us to listen to it. That's why he gave us his word. When he says it twice, he's trying to impress upon us something. And when he says it six times, we should probably pay attention. There there is a reason why he did that. Okay? So the reason why I say this is because people get confused. They listen to this person teach this doctrine, and then they turn on another one, and that's fine. It's good to get around knowledge of what's going on. Hence, I read R.C. Sproul's stuff every single morning of my life. I'm getting, I'm not isolating myself to one train of thought, but I know enough to discern when the Lord is trying to tell me something when he says something six times, right? And six times in just a couple of yeah, verses. Right. Six he's, verses. He's, yeah, he's trying to get you to understand something. So don't make that error. So that's the kingdom reign of Christ for a thousand years. However, there will still be death during this period. Some people don't realize that. There will be death during the millennial reign, and only after that reign will come the final correction of what was lost so long ago. How do we know that there will be death in the millennial reign of Christ? Does anybody know? Uh, I'm going to butcher it, but it says basically if somebody dies under 200 years? 100 years old. Yeah, that's it. It says in the book of Isaiah, and I, I can't find it right in front of me right now, but he says it's somewhere right in 64, 65, 66. He's talking about the millennial reign, and he, he says that uh, the people will live and um, uh, kills a bull, blood, chosen or soul delights. Anyway, somewhere he says that um, when a person lives to 100 years of age and dies, they'll call him accursed. In other words, they'll say he must have died of a curse because he's only 100 years old. Mm-hmm. People are living two and three and four and 500 years old, just like they did at the beginning. And this person died at 100, he must have been under a curse. So people will die. Okay. It also says that people will live to be like the age of a tree. I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to. Um, let me see if I. How can I? Here, you do that, and I'll do this, and we're going to find it really quickly, just because I want people to have that that verse, so that in they Isaiah. do. Yes, it's in Isaiah, and uh, you look for it. I'll look for it, and we'll find it very quickly. But H U N D R E D. Okay, that's what I'm going to look for. You look for what you want. Oh no, I I wanted Bible Gateway is what I want. That's not what I want. I was doing that in a general search, and you're not going to find that Bible Gateway, okay? Hate to waste time on this stupid iPad, but I want people to know where these things are, so, whoops, there, okay? Somebody's online right now, and they're saying, dummy, it's right there, and, uh, you know, <laughs> anyway, okay, we're going to find it. Okay, so Isaiah, and it says here, Isaiah, it says two times, it says, um, here it is, Isaiah 65, 20. I said it was in 65, no more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner, being 100 years old, shall be accursed. Okay, so a child will die you know, 100 years old, and the person, the sinner, will die at 100, who is accursed. In other words, you'll live to long, long ages. You'll be considered a child if you die at 100 years old, and you'll be considered accursed. Anyway, so there you go. I just want people to understand those things. If it comes to mind, it's good to get them out, because there are a million people with a million opinions about things, and Isaiah is writing about the millennial reign of Christ. Okay, death. All right. The promise of restoration is a hope that we can cling to is absolutely certain, guaranteed, going to happen. What has to be considered through the Bible's words is that it was the devil who deceived man, and it was because of this deception that the fall occurred. Without a restoration, 
the victory isn't truly complete. Think it through. The devil will have won. There has to be a rest restoration of all things or the devil actually won in the end. This is the reason for the dispensations which have been introduced into the stream of humanity. Each has led us through the unfolding of God's plan of this restoration. That's why dispensationalism is correct, is because God is showing us our need for Christ in every single dispensation. He's getting us to the point where we realize that without God, we can do nothing. We will always mess it up. And in the end, the devil will be the victor unless there is a completion of this dispensational model. I just disagree with people that say that dispensationalism is wrong. It's revealed in the Bible. Once again, it doesn't explicitly say the word dispensationalism. Paul uses the term which is translated as dispensation. It's like a structuring of a household. But you can't say that that's actually defining dispensations. But the Bible does define dispensations very clearly. Okay. Once again, that's a, a, a thing that is implicit in the Bible, even though it doesn't explicitly say it. The Bible is full of those. You have to draw out what God is doing and what he's telling us. So um, uh, that's the reason for the dispensations. Each has led us through the unfolding of God's plan of this restoration. In the end, there is a battle in the spiritual realm, which is being realized in the temporal realm. We know that because we have the prince of the uh, power of the air. He's out there and he's doing something, and that's being realized down here. We have the, the battle of Michael the archangel, you know, in... Uh, uh, Daniel, where he's, uh, you know, had to fight against the prince of the Persia. Yeah, yeah prince of Persia, okay? And so there's a spiritual really battle which is being realized down in our temporal realm. Really What's that? yeah, That's right. That's exactly right. So we see that, okay? John tells us succinctly the main reason for Christ's coming. I've said it at least 10 times during the book of Romans. We can do it again. Where is it? I've said, don't forget this verse. The main reason for Christ's coming. Destroy the works of the devil. To destroy the works of the devil. Where is that? What book? John. First John. Okay. What chapter? Come on. Uh, it's, just, it's chapter what? I think it's chapter two. Chapter what? No, three. Oh, oh, chapter three. And what verse? It's chapter three, verse seven. Eight. Eight. Oh, eight. Very good. How did you know that? Okay, so it's one John three eight. Remember that first. Yes. First first book of John three verse eight. The reason that the Son of God has been made manifest is to destroy the works of the devil. It began at the beginning. The dispensations are showing that the devil is still here. Each dispensation is uh, revealing that. And without the complete restoration of all things, without the devil being let loose in the millennial reign, as it says, after a thousand years, he's going to be loosed one more time, he ultimately gets the victory, right? He gets the victory, and we don't want to end with that. What? He doesn't get the victory. God gets the victory. Oh, yes. Yeah. What? I'm sitting there going, i got to write this down. And I'm, I'm looking for a, a blank spot in my book. And up here, I've got 1 John 3, 8 written down. <laughs> 1 John 3, 8, exactly where you needed to write it. See? It's already there. It's already there. I'm wondering. I thought you were having a heart attack there for a second. You were like, huh. Yes. i got to write that down. It's like, guess what? I'm sure you've talked about it before, and I'm sure you're going to get to it in verses 24 and 25. But the word hope, this has been, it was explained to me once, and maybe there are some people who still think of it in a non-biblical way, but where 2019 and, let's see, 
We're 20 ver bridges into 21. Okay. In hope. In hope. Okay. Means in confident expectation, not the hope so hope. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, quite often in, in the Greek, you'll have an article in front of something like hope. And it, that's there for a reason, the hope, instead of just hope. So say it again. It's uh, in confident. Uh, in, oh, at the end of twenty, where it bridges into twenty-one, right. in confident expectation that the creation. And, and that's exactly what I. It's pretty much what I said there. Let me go back and read that again because we went through twenty already. But it says um, um, the futility in hope. The hope is not God's hope, but creation's hope. Okay, just as the creation is said to eagerly await, there is hope. So it's a hope is a confident expectation. That that and it is the creation's hope. And as I said, that's metaphorical. Creation doesn't actually hope, but from our perspective, it is the confidence. It is the confidence, as you say, that we know that this will happen. We have absolutely no doubt that this is going to happen. Okay, so we'll go on. Um, we've got the one John three eight. It's written down. You don't need to forget it again. Very good. Okay. The devil has wrought his destruction, and so Christ has come to destroy what he has wrought. Okay? There was no need for Christ until the fall. God is God, right? But when the fall happened, here comes the promised Redeemer, because the reason for sending Christ is to destroy the works of the devil. If there were no works of the devil, there wouldn't be any need for this. Okay? But... What would, came along and talked with Adam and Eve. They had fellowship, so there was That's right. That, <laughs> once again, understand that that's why I say, and this is something that people online won't understand what you're talking about. I do not believe in a pre-incarnate Christ. There is no doubt that the Lord, it says, L-O-R-D, was in the garden with Adam and Eve. Okay, he was there. He walked in the cool of the garden. They were hiding. But it implies that there was fellowship there face-to-face -face fellowship okay who is it that was fellowshipping with them? Jesus it was Jesus Jesus did not incarnate before he incarnated oh, he is not a pre-incarnate Christ he is the Christ who came and died on a cross mm -hmm. okay he's the same being I do not I believe in a eternal Christ right. okay if you disagree with that that is fine I have no problem with that but that is what he's referring to and I want to make sure everybody online understands that Jesus didn't walk in the garden before he was crucified. He is the eternal Christ. The same being is eternal, and he can pop in and out of his own history anytime he wants, and he does it many times in the Old Testament. It's not what we would call a theophany, where God put on garments of flesh and walked up to Abraham and then took them off and became Christ later. It's the same being. I, I, I'm absolutely certain of that, and if you disagree, that is fine. That's something that I don't know anybody else that teaches that doctrine, but that's what I teach is because God is God. He told okay? Thomas, he what? seen me, I've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's right. You have to understand the nature of God. God does not change. God is a spirit, okay? Mm -hmm. He united with human flesh, and when he did that, that was eternal. And like I say, he is the master of time and space. If Jesus wanted to pop in here right now, he could do it. He's not going to, but he could, and he did do it in his own genealogy. He did. He showed up in front of, how do we know that that was Jesus that showed up in front of Joshua? What happened at the burning bush? Moses, take your shoes off, Moses, you're on holy ground, right? Well, guess what? It's the only other time in the Bible there's a man standing there with his sword drawn, and he's told to do something. Take off your shoes, you're on holy ground, right? It is, and there's a reason why, I explained that in that sermon, but there's a reason why that happened. 
that is the Lord. He has come back and he has revealed himself in his human nature, okay? That's what he's talking about. Whether you agree or disagree, that's fine, but I do not believe in a pre-incarnate Christ. Christ was in the garden. He was there with Adam and Eve. They saw him, and he knew that they were going to fall, and the promise of him coming is from him that he is coming. That's, I, it, it, that's just the way it is. The nature of God demands that if God is the one that is in the garden, you're not seeing him. Well, that There's, would make sense with that. Oh, absolutely. It's because you know that, that circle didn't just pop up. That's right. Absolutely. God does there. not change. God does not have parts. God is spirit. No man can see God. No man will see God. The Bible is explicit on that several times. Okay? Explicit. Therefore, it is Christ. It is God revealing himself in human form once and for all time. Okay? That's just what I believe, and I... I well, it also makes sense. It does make if, sense. If, if what you just said about the Father... It's true, and I don't think anybody who would argue that point that you're talking about would right. not say that that's the Father. You can't see the Father. That's right, and so, you will never see the so Father. The, so the you father, will never see the Father correct, forever. Correct. So the Father did not appear in front of Adam and Eve. He right. did not appear. No, he did. That's right. The Lord did. Yeah. The Lord Jesus. And mm-hmm. here's something. Somebody emailed me about that, and he asked me, how do you know that we will never see the Father? Okay. And my answer was, and I didn't say this during the class, but I want you to understand how you will know that you will never see the Father. If you saw God, you see what? You see everything, because God is everything. He is everything. He is infinite. If you see an infinite, then you are, then you're God, because you can infinitely see God. You will never see God. You will see what he reveals of himself ceaselessly, endlessly, forever. But you will not see God because God is spirit and you will never see that. That's why Christ came is to reveal the unseen father. If you have seen me, you have seen. There you go. Exactly what he just said a minute ago. You cannot see an infinite. God the father is infinite. He is always being revealed to us slowly and infinitely. We will not see him. We will see what he is revealing to us. Okay. So when somebody says I see saw God, they didn't see God. Okay, especially now, but even in eternity, we will never see God in the fullest sense. Never. We will see what God has revealed to us. We are not gods. We are not infinite. And we cannot grasp an infinite. Okay, that's why that's why we will live forever. forever. It's because he will forever be revealing himself to us Amen. infinitely. Right. And as long as we search out God and as long as we continue to learn about God, there Amen. will be an infinite amount of God that we will not know. It doesn't matter how long we search him out, forever and ever and ever, there will still be an infinite amount of our Heavenly Father to come to us forever. We can't grasp that, but that is what is coming. Okay, so um, we've got when the destruction is destroyed, then what is left will be as intended. Let me redo the previous sentence again. The devil has wrought his destruction. Christ has come to destroy what he wrought. When the destruction is destroyed, then what is left will be as intended. The final chapters of the book of Revelation detail the glory which lies ahead when the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption. As Godet says, nature possesses in the feeling of her unmerited suffering a sort of presentiment of her future deliverance. Okay? Nature itself is waiting, as Paul says, eagerly anticipating its restoration the complete restoration of all things. And once again, that's that's taking a, a 
attribute of man and it's assigning it to creation, but that's the only thing we can do is to try to explain how creation is feeling this. Let me read that again. Nature possesses in the feeling of her unmerited suffering, because she is suffering, a sort of presentiment of her future deliverance, okay? Nature itself. The deliverance from corruption's bondage will be into the glorious liberty of the children of God. What is translated as glorious liberty here is the phrase eleutherian tis doxis, liberty of the glory. There's one right there. We have an article in front of it. It's not just glorious liberty. It is the uh, uh, liberty of the glory. Okay. All of creation will be delivered from the pains of corruption. Sin shall be expiated from man and the fallen creation will be glorified into the same liberty that is bestowed upon the children of God. Everything will be as it should be someday. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're looking at in Revelation 20, 21, and 22. Everything will be restored. And God is slowly getting us back to that point. Like, think of um, Israel, okay? Why did Israel get the land it got? Why did the Lord say that I would be among them and I would sanctify them, right? Why did he do that? Why didn't he just take us to the end? Because he's showing us one of the dispensations of they've got these perfect ideal conditions. God is dwelling among them, right? Still giving them a law, and he's given them the ability to uh, disobey that law. And then he gave them a picture of what was coming in them. We're going to see one of the pictures on Sunday, finally done. But think of this. Think of the way that Israel is structured, okay? When Adam was in the garden and he disobeyed, where did he go? But where? Outside the garden. Yes, but where? It says east. 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 Thank you. Okay, east. Now, when the Israel is living in their land, right, and they have the tabernacle, and the tabernacle is set up, it is always set up in the same direction. Which way? It's facing from west to east. The Lord is in the west. The east is facing in that direction. You've got... The tabernacle is inside the sanctuary, and the tabernacle is divided into separate parts. You have the holy place. You have the most holy place. Let me show you this on the board so you can see what I'm showing you, because this is what he's talking about here. But each step is a part of it being unveiled for people to see. He says here, this is my tabernacle, right? You've got the holy place, Hewlett Packard, and then you've got the (laughs) most holy place, Okay. All right. What is between the two of them? The veil. veil. Okay. Now, this is a picture of the veil. It's got a division because he has to get in and out of there. But what is sewn into the veil? Cherubim. Okay. So I'm going to just make a couple birds because I'm not a good drawer. But you got cherubim. Which way are those cherubim facing? They're facing east. They are the guardian cherubim of the Garden of Eden. Here's the Garden of Eden. Man gets expelled east, and what does the Lord do? He puts the cherubim there with their swords, flaming swords, right? Spinning in all directions, keeping them from access. So the implication is you have to go west in order to get into the Garden of Eden. Okay? The same thing here. You can approach the Lord only through here. The Lord is dwelling in here. If you saw the Exodus sermons, you know every single thing here is about returning to the Lord, about having fellowship with the Lord. And we're going to, we have seen it. We'll see a little more of the golden incense. And that's the only thing that goes through the veil every day. Here is where the Lord resides. Nothing is allowed to go into there. Nothing. 
There's an exception of the high priest once a year, and that's the picture of Christ. But what goes through this veil every single day? The incense. The Lord can smell the incense. Incense is prayers. That's right. You guys paid attention. You didn't sleep through that part. And so that is picturing because it says in Hebrews 9 that the veil is Christ's body. His body, the prayers have to go through him in order to get to God, right? That has to go through him. There's only one way through here. And the symbolism of his death is that the veil was rent in two. Okay? And so now we have full and free access. But that's only for people that are in Christ. Anybody else that's not in Christ can't get in there. Their prayers are not heard because they're not the prayers in Christ, which the incense itself picture Christ. Everything is pointing to this. So here's Israel in their land. Right? When they disobey, what did the Lord do? He dispersed them. And where did they end up? Over in Babylon. East. The same thing. They had to go north to get east, but it is east of where they are. Everything is pointing to the same thing. That's why he gave them this dispensation. He picked this land, and he picked Babylon, which is the land of Shinar, which goes all the way back to early Genesis. Everything is pointing to what God is doing to show us the restoration of all things and why dispensations are necessary. Each one is showing us a little bit of why this is necessary. Okay? He had to go through this, or we would have skipped something that logically somebody would have said later, what about this? Nothing is missing in what God has done, but it, it, it's marvelous. It is marvelous what he's done. So anyway. was that bird that said, go west, young man? Yeah, go west. That was um, Custer, wasn't it? In the uh, movie... Um, somebody, wasn't it? Horace Greeley. thank you. But there was another one where Custer in the movie said, go west, and the lady freaked out and goes, no. Um, was it Blazing Saddles? No, it wasn't Blazing no, no, Saddles. No, no. <laughs> um, hang on, I've got to think of this. Anyway, okay, he did in that movie, but you're right, Horace Greeley. Anyway, let's finish up this first. We've got a couple minutes left. Um, you know what? I've got to tell you how many people email me, and they say, this is my church now. I got a couple just this week, and I don't want to give their names without permission, but they will never know what that means to me. One, the most wonderful lady emailed me. I got it this morning, and uh, I can say this because I'm not going to give her name, but she was a, an ex-Catholic, and she met the Lord, and, and she says, I, I won't even say where she is, but um, uh, I just don't want to give too much away, but it was so nice for her to tell me that she says, you're my church now, and I just, I'm so thankful that the Lord has given us the internet where we can have this type of fellowship, and where people can online send emails to each other while we're having this class and they can say you know one thing and, and, and I was saying to uh, maybe you or maybe to Patty when she was here that it seems like the people that fellowship online are as close of a church as any church you go to downtown right. you know what I mean they're very close people they actually are visiting each other some of them are going right? just right. I'm so thankful that this can happen right. um, not only thankful for the internet Oh, but for Sergio, well, Sergio's made that possible. And, planet, <laughs> yeah, who's they're monitoring it, and for Mike, who is the one that put all this together in mm -hmm. the, the beginning, it's just the Lord is so good. Is he? He's just so good. Okay, the deliverance from corruption's bondage will be, as Paul says, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. What is translated? Oh, I've already said that the liberty of glory. Okay, all of creation will be delivered from the pains of corruption. Sin shall be expiated for man. I know I read this, and the fallen creation will be glorified into the same liberty that is bestowed upon the children of God. Okay, before we go on, I've got another poem from the next sermon in Genesis, still relevant to what Paul is saying. This is called The End of the Garden of God. Your sentence is pronounced, in pain you shall give birth. Your husband will rule over you, and he shall till the, till the unforgiving earth. 
Your pains in childbirth will be increased. Indeed, your labor will be most severe. But when from your womb the child is released, again the joy in your heart will appear. And Adam, because you listened to your wife and from the forbidden fruit you did eat, I shall give you a burdensome life. I've cursed the ground beneath your feet. For your crops will you till and the soil will resist. From it thorns and thistles will readily grow. But the things on which you need to subsist will take careful work with a plow and a hoe. Someday you'll return to that ground as a seed planted in the soil. And if by faith you live your life, there shall be a reward for your time of toil. Now I will clothe you with garments of skin and send you out of this garden of delight. Cherubs will faithfully guard the way back in until my son makes all things right. And when he does, you can come back in, not because of anything you have done, but because his blood alone will cover your sin, such as the wondrous work of my son. Hallelujah and amen. Life application, let the devil is fouled up through deception. Christ will fully reverse through truth and righteousness. In this world of woe, there is a better hope. Fix your eyes on Jesus and the glory which lies ahead. Can't wait. Can't wait. 822. Yeah, we got time for one more. Well, 825 says we eagerly. We eagerly await. Well, I'm eagerly awaiting. That that was my eager there. When I did that, that's eager. Creation's eagerly awaiting, but we're eagerly awaiting. Right here. Eagerly. (laughs) The the teeth clenching always means eager with me. Okay, go ahead. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, childbirth right up to the present time right up until the present time okay again for the fourth time in this section the verse is introduced with four pay attention when you see these things this is then being tied back to verse 21 which said that the creation was subject to futility and it will be delivered from the bondage of corruption he now explains based on this knowledge that we know we know In other words, what he is stating should be taken as a universal axiom. Anyone can simply look around and tell this, okay? We know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs. There are earthquakes, there are floods, there are hurricanes, there are famines, and there are plagues. And you know what? A guy that asked me to take care of his house for three months, he got back this week. His wife, I saw her yesterday while I was working at my uncle's house. She came walking by and she said, while we were gone, we found out Dave has cancer, oh. right? Earth pains. The earth is just in, it's in terrible trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things that it doesn't matter who you talk to. Eventually, something bad is going to show up in their life or your life, and you're going to talk about it. It's, it's inevitable, right? That's not the way that this was intended to be. And guess what that gave me a chance to do? Witness. Gave me a chance to witness, right? Do it. So there you go. I did. And um, unfortunately, I couldn't do it directly to him because he's inside sick from the chemo. But um, uh, I gave him something that will hopefully give him something to ponder on. I told her, please have him call me over anything he wants. Let's, you know, but uh, take advantage of the opportunity, right? Redeem the time. Um, He now explains based on the knowledge that we know. In other words, he's stating it's a universal axiom. We know that the whole creation groans and labors, okay? And I've said that. We have the famines, the plagues. We have all of it. We have the cancer. There is the natural, uh, unnatural death. There are stars that explode, meteors that crash into Earth, all of these things. All of them and so very many more are evidently 
not something that one would think of as normal when thinking of an ideal world, right? I remember reading when I was a kid, this is years and years ago, there was a guy that was sitting in his house and they took a picture of him sitting with his wife and there was a hole in the roof. Guess what happened? A meteor. A meteor fell and hit him right right here. It hit him? I, I mean, it hit the, the couch right oh, next to him. Okay. You know, I mean, wow. yeah. So if it hit him, it probably would have gone right through him. But I mean, imagine that is not the natural world. That is not what God planned for us to happen. But that is a part of what is ordained to happen because of the fall of man. All of these kind of things. Think of the craziest thing that you can think of. It's not meant to be, right? All of these terrible things. All right. So it's not normal. And yet we have the intuition that there is an ideal which should exist. This kind of goes with who's who gives that logical argument? C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis gives that logical argument. You know, he was a great writer. He did some good stuff, basic stuff, but he also was a very deep thinker. And, you know, one of the things he says is that um, uh, a duck needs what? Water. water, right? Okay. Well, if there was no such thing as water, then the duck wouldn't need water, right? But everything has a need. And every need is fulfilled, right? We have a need. Right. He calls it the argument for joy. I think is yeah, the argument for joy. We all have a need. Every person, even if they say, I don't really believe that, they do. Yeah. Okay? They all need heaven. Everybody does. Eventually, if you talk around it enough, yeah. okay, I will tell you how I know this. As I've seen this happen. Um, what's his name? Um, uh, the little guy that goes out, the Australian guy that's always evangelizing, um, uh, Ray Comfort. He's talking to somebody one time, and um, uh, he goes up to a girl, and he says, why should God let you into heaven? She says, well, I don't believe in heaven. Okay? So that's her argument. I don't believe in heaven, and so he started just talking to her, right? And eventually, he got around in the conversation, and he said, um, um, uh, he, he said something, and she said, well, of course I'd go to heaven, she completely contradicted her first statement because she wants everybody to think I'm in control of myself and I can believe that I don't believe this. But as soon as she was attacked with the, the possibility of not going to heaven, she was immediately going to heaven, which she doesn't believe in, right? Well, everybody does. Everybody does. If you talk to them enough, they will always have that hope of joy. And he says, if everybody has this hope and it is universal, then there must be a fulfillment of that hope. No hope is left undesired. No need is left undesired, uh, unfulfilled. I said undesired, unfulfilled. If we have a need, and we do, there must be a fulfillment of it. Okay? And so the, the, the duck in the water, the heaven in the sky. Of ours, Vince said everybody's born with a homing device. A homing device. That's right. That's exactly right. We're all built with a homing device, and we, we voluntarily shut that homing device down. But... That's it's something that people have in them, and that need will be met. Okay, if they follow the right path, it will be met. Okay, so um, let's see here. This is the stuff of dreams that that ideal exists. Hollywood movies are filled with it. AI technology. We're trying to get to the perfection of man. Everybody's got their idea of how to get there, but it is the stuff of dreams, legends, plays, movies, all of it. It is something universally found. Every country that I've been in, I have seen people that believe that there is something better. They write stories about how that better will be or how you get to that better everywhere I've been. Okay? So, it's universally found in the heart and hope of man. This creation shouldn't act as it does, but it does in fact. 
And these groans and labors with birth pangs continue, as Paul says, until now. Okay? This was true at Paul's time. It continues to be true 2,000 years later. The world which is hoped for has not yet arrived. There is a universal fault which will be corrected, as he previously stated. For we know that things aren't as they should be. Life application, and we're going to finish because we've got 10 minutes. And I don't think I can get through the next one. Let me see here. That's nah, a little long. Um, life application, when you see a tsunami kill 200,000 people, right? Remember that one? Mm-hmm. You know that it isn't something that should happen. Something has caused it. Is it a mean and vindictive God? Is it? No. Is it a God who can't handle crisis as they arrive? Or is it that there is a fault which was caused by our own rebellion? If the last is the case, will God correct it? We know the answer because we have the instruction manual to the problem in our possession. When crises arise, let us use the situation wisely and share the good news of Jesus Christ. No matter what the calamity, small or large, we can use it for his glory. All right? Somebody tells you you have cancer? Well, then talk to him about it. Say, you know what? And I was thinking if he did come out, if he wasn't sick today, I had already thought what I'm going to say to him because this is a, uh, a very intellectual guy. He's somebody that my first question was going to be, do you know who Simon Greenleaf is? Right? That was going to be my question. Do you know Simon Greenleaf? And uh, I, he would probably say no, but his field, he should know. And so my answer was going to be he was one of the principal founders of Harvard Law School. Right? It, it fits right in with what he needs right now. Okay? I was all ready for this, and he didn't come out because he's too sick to come out today. And I know and she, what he did. Yeah. Well, here's what he did. He was in Harvard Law School, and not at the time. He was a professor at the time. He hadn't found it yet. He's a professor. And one of the students in his class said something about the Bible, and he says, that's a book of myths. Right? That's insane. Why would I even bother with that? And they said, well, you're the professor. You're the law professor prove it wrong right and he was a guy of integrity and so he said okay i will and he did a evaluation of the bible from a judicial perspective a legal perspective and his conclusion was that this is actually the truth this is valid substantiated evidence it he even says that you know if everything comes from the proper repository it has every uh, mark of being uh, um, authentic not forged it must, by legal standards, it must be counted as authentic, right? He says this has all of the marks of being the truth. He converted to Christ. He became what is known as the father of judicial apologetics. That's defending Simon Greenleaf, G-R-E-E-N-L-E-A-F-E. I think there's an E on the end. Look him up. You can read about him. He became the father of what we call judicial apologetics. That's defending the faith from a legal standpoint. And I was going to say to this guy today, I said, you know, this wasn't a dummy. He was principal founder of Harvard Law School, right? And so he obviously was willing to check something out. I was going to say, you know what? You found out that you're mortal. You now have the possibility of dying, which you always had, but now you realize that. Why don't you do what Simon Greenleaf did and spend your time wisely? That was going to be my approach to him, and I didn't get it, so I did something else through his wife. But that's what you want to do. You want to be versed enough in how to approach different people. Everybody's got their own you know, specialty, everybody's got their own ability, and you want to use that ability and focus on that. If you talk to somebody in wastewater, probably the best thing that you can do is talk to them about the nitrogen cycle. 
Say, you know what? No, I'm, I'm telling you, I was in wastewater for 20 some years. The nitrogen cycle is a very simple thing. We we got four more minutes, so I might as well show you. Wait a minute. But, uh, <laughs> have, you've got the, the nitrogen. The groaning here we had. What? The groaning of creation. We we all groan, you know. If you come downstairs after you fell, you probably groan. And I was groaning. Groan. We groan. Oh, groan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, G-R-O-W-N, you're saying. Dr. Yeah. McGee says groaning is scriptural. This is the verse he uses. We all groan in these bodies. Absolutely. Oh. So I had to give that to you because. And I groan all the time. I, every morning when I wake up, I'm groaning more now. But I, we'll forget the nitrogen cycle because. No, I, no, 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 no. 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 Anyway, um, we're going to go ahead and close. So. Uh, Next week. No, no, I'm, no. Heavenly Father, I. I just thank you so much for this class and these people here that are just they're just wonderful. Great questions and good back and forth. And uh, uh, it, it's just a wonderful pleasure to be here and to uh, share in, in your word with them and those online. And I would pray that you would bless each and every one of them in their hearts and in their souls. And uh, just help us to be responsible with our time, to redeem the time, to be effective stewards of telling people about the gospel of Christ and to... Uh, uh, just everything we do, let it be an offering to you for what you have done for us through Jesus. And Lord, we certainly praise you. Thank you for all of the goodness you've displayed in my own life. And I know everybody here does as well. We're all very thankful to you. And we just look for that day when you will be coming for us and taking us out of here. And may that day be soon. Amen. We love you. We praise you. And we exalt you. And we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. Okay, let me turn this baby up. Oh, Hey, that was a groan. That was that was a groan. That was the chair making that noise. The chair is groaning. Let's see here. We're going to go to break. Break. And there we go. Okay, everybody, have a wonderful night. We love y'all. Be good. All righty. I do. Yes. Hey, 23 next week. Okay. Whoa! No, 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 no. What'd you just do? What'd you do? Didn't break over here. No, I, I, maybe I can get another one by Sunday. What's broken right here? Let's look at it first. <laughs>